Hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Minister John Richard, and this podcast is an account of this week's Bible study. I pray that it blesses and strengthens you in Jesus' name. If you are looking for more of the Word or are searching for the notes that were used in this week's lesson, please feel free to check the links in the description. Enjoy the Bible study and be blessed. Amen and amen again. I would really like to thank the Lord for this week's lesson, because it's one of those things that we as a society love to wrestle with, mainly due to the fact that we don't have a true grasp or understanding of what really is right and wrong. Our ideology on right and wrong or good and bad change up every single day not because good and bad are this gray area but because we do what we do to make the laws suit us that's just who we are as a race of people called humans but let me tell you about about God and how good God is God does not waver he's not fickle like us and Unlike us, he's not a man that he would lie or needs to lie or has the propensity to do so. So I thank God for that. This week's lesson is entitled Ticket for One. Now, I know you hear that. You don't know what I'm talking about. Let me explain. When I say ticket for one, I literally mean that in this life, you are assigned a ticket. And when you come here, you're dead on arrival. So your oneness, no matter how much all the discord, all the inhumane things that occur, they belong to Satan. Sorry to tell you that if you didn't know the truth, but now you know. So here's the bright side of that. The Lord, our God, has made an offer to every single one of us that has been born, that will be born, and so on and so forth. And that offer is, is to reject this lie that Satan would love to sell you, that you're on your own, that you are your mistakes, that you're your faults, that you're all the nasty things in life. Reject that and accept who God has called you to be. And that's his child. That is an heir. That is Whatever he has placed for your life, because he alone knows the plans that are set for you. And let me tell you, they're wonderful because I'm walking in mine and I've yet to see all the wonderful things that God has placed before me. So with that being said, we have definitions today. We haven't had some in a while, but we have some today. And I pray that through these definitions and the scriptures that the Lord has guided me to choose, will help you have an understanding that we're all in a boat together and we're either in a boat of discord or we're in a boat of complete and total unity. That's it. There's no gray area in this life. There is either for God or against God. Now, again, if that hurts your feelings because you thought it was some middle ground, I'm good most days. And of course, because I'm human, I have my off days. It does not work that way. But again, our definitions. And we start off with a wonderful word that philosophers love to use. And that word is morality. So 
let's talk about morality. What does that mean? Well, according to Google, morality is or morality. It's the principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong or good and bad behavior. Now, like I said, when it comes to our grasp of good and bad, we we don't we don't really have one of those because we again, we make laws to fit our needs at the moment. While one thing could be horrendous and punishable by death today, tomorrow it could be a slap on the wrist. We don't know, but that's how fickle we are. That's how we work. Now with God, and according to what Jesus said, when he was asked, you know, good master or good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus immediately told the man in question, what are you talking about? There is no one good but God. That's it. None of us are good. Hate to break it to you again, but we work in truth and facts around here, not in making you feel good. I want you to know the truth. So if morality fits us and then we take an even deeper looking into what the Webster version of morality means, we see then that morality, it's the conformity to ideals of right human conduct. Now, what's wrong about that statement? Conformity. The Bible so clearly tells us to not be conformed to the world, but instead to be renewed and transformed into a new person, quoting the NLT here, by the transforming or the renewing of our minds through, through who or through what? Is it philosophy? No, that doesn't help anything. That fits my needs at the moment. Is it through the government? No. Again, that goes back to fitting the needs of the few instead of the many. Does it go to one of these various quote unquote gods with the little G that is just another name or ruse for Satan? No, but it is in and through Christ Jesus who we should be renewed through because that's the only way we're going to change y'all. But so now, as per usual, we look at our Greek definition, which helps us shed some light on this matter. And that definition would be haru parie, which means to make filthy. It's filth or pollution or defilement. And we go down and haru paria means properly it's dirt, it's filth. And we go on to see that it is moral filth that soils or desecrates the soul, emphasizing a specific application or influence of this moral filth. And we see it used in James chapter 1 verse 21. And then we look further down in Harupos, which means moral filth viewed as a working principle. Now, if you aren't familiar with James chapter 1, verse 21, that scripture tells us to remove all the filth and evil from our lives because it has no purpose being there once we get saved. And it surely can't help us on the path to salvation But this more so applies to the believer, especially no matter what point you're walking with God, whether you're brand new, you've been walking for a while or a short time, remove it because it's always going to be something there that you can get out the way. So do it to the best of your ability. But it tells us to remove it 
And then it goes on to tell us about how doing so can help us become just that much closer to God and, you know, stop making a fool out of ourselves. We, we don't need to do that anymore. But I say all this to say, to again, help you understand that there is one boat that we reside in and it's either for God or against God. But the beautiful thing about all messages that the Lord sends is that no matter how bad it may make you feel in the moment, God always has a but clause in there, meaning that, yes, all these things are terrible and I will punish them, thus saith the Lord. But if you would just come to me, reject the world, don't worry about what other people have to say, then I have all these wonderful things just for you. And we see that very prevalently in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, and then we will hop into the actual word. But that simply says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it thereof, it leads to the ways of death, not just death, but the ways of it. It's a domino effect that sends you trickling down the rabbit hole that you don't want to go in. And God forbid, if your heart gets hardened on that journey, then you can't come back from. But again, we have a but God clause. So let's hop into the word. We start off in Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 23. And this particular scripture will set us up for the rest of this lesson. Now, this is an open Bible moment because it's a good chunk of scripture. So I'll give you a second to go ahead and navigate to it. But so starting off in verse three, he told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Jesus says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as it had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use these parables when you talk to the people? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but the others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. 
But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. So we start off here with a good chunk of scripture. And honestly, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture, especially that Jesus is teaching us. He's telling us to quote the latter half of that passage is that when the word of God is sent out, we all have, according to the book of Romans, a a tiny bit of faith that God has implanted inside of us. And when that faith seed hears the word of God, it is like water and nutrients and sunlight, everything that a, a seed needs in order to grow. And when it hear it, and well, when it hears the word of God, when you hear it, when you start to listen to it, you are now presented with an option to either allow that tiny seed of faith that God has given each and every one of us a chance to grow, to prosper so that your life can be embittered and that you can actually make a change, that you can make a difference, not just in your life, but in the lives of others and be impactful. Or you could stay the same and be happy in your mess and wallow in filth and roll around in the dirt and hurt people and yourself and just exist instead of live. Now, it sounds bad because it is, but I want you to know the truth here so that you would, you know, choose the right thing because God gives us the option to choose. And I, his son and his servant, want you to choose the right thing more importantly the free thing because it is a free gift that god gives us while on the other hand everything satan tries to sell you you gotta buy and it costs you something that you really shouldn't be trying to part with but so we see here that jesus breaks it down and now we have understanding how the word works and there are so many people who claim to be christians but as jesus said When the problems of life comes or they start getting persecuted for belonging to God, they're nowhere to be found. And it really bothers me because how could you start getting to know the one who truly loves you more than anyone ever could say or show that they do? Because he died on a cross for you and for me. 
and then you just want to leave high and dry because things get rough. Matter of fact, to use the words of the Lord in the book of Revelation, do you want to be a coward? And I know it sounds rough, but I'm trying to be honest with you because we get real big and bold when people mess with us and then we want to retaliate by fighting or cursing them out or slandering their name or talk behind their backs. We get real bad and bold when we don't like things with our current governmental infrastructure and then we go vote or march or, you know, start bans and boycotts to try to make changes. We get real bold. But when it comes to the real thing about changing what matters, and that's our perspective on who we serve, because baby, you're either serving Satan or you're serving God. Again, there is no middle ground. We, we get scared. We get frightened. We act like just because someone called you a name because you're a Christian, meaning you are a follower of God. Now what? Now you're you're nervous you're you're upset you're afraid remember this is one ticket that we have and we're either in a boat that's sinking or we're in a boat that's floating and happily on to its destination so you got to choose but this scripture we're going to refer to it a lot throughout this bible study so let's move forward we go to mark chapter 3 verses 28 through 30 and then Hebrews chapter six, verses four through six. And we get more insight here from Jesus about this boat or this ticket that I've been telling you about so far. OK, so the Bible says, <clears throat> assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But look at that. But hey, pay attention to this. He who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Jesus said this because the scribes and Pharisees were attributing his miracles to Satan by saying he has an unclean spirit. Then in Hebrews 6, the Bible says, for it, it is impossible, let's run that back, it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. Now, before I even get into this, didn't I tell you that Matthew was going to help with all of this because we saw what Jesus said about the spirit of the seed? So let's break this down. When Jesus says that it's unforgivable to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, what does he mean? Let me tell you. In the Amplified Version, of Luke chapter 12, verse 10, which is the same iteration of this text, it breaks it down very plainly that blaspheming the Holy Spirit means that it is whoever intentionally discredits the Holy Spirit by attributing the, authentic, the authenticating miracles done by me, Jesus speaking, to Satan. So Jesus makes it very clear that whatever you do in life, if you kill people, rape people, 
molest, trafficking, drugs, alcoholism, all of the above. I'm just trying to think of the most vile things that we typically accord to the quote unquote worst sins. Those are bad ones, right? But let me tell you what else is equal to those. If you, for instance, sleep around with a lot of people, that's the same thing as being a murderer. If you watch a lot of porn, like I used to do, same thing as being an alcoholic. No matter what you do on this planet, aside from blaspheming the Holy Spirit, all those sins equate to death. I'm skipping way ahead, but Romans 6.23 says that all that the wages of sin is death. All sin equals death. And that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what does this little part mean here? That God literally has no concern of how bad you think you are. That in this ticket of ours, no matter how much dirt, how many hole punches you've gotten on yours, with all the bad things you've done, with all the crimes you may have committed, with all the the nonsense that you have allowed to occur in your life, God is willing and is able to forgive you. But when you decide for some perverse reason that what clearly God has done, you are attributing it to Satan, Well, I don't know what to tell you, because that is just a vile affront to his holiness, his goodness, his kindness, his grace, his mercy and his patience. Don't don't do that. I am a little off. And I say that in that way to let you know, because I'm human as much as I want to do right sometimes. And again, I'm skipping ahead. I still do wrong, not because I want to, but because this 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 body of affliction that Paul so eloquently describes it's fighting me day and night but i thank god for christ jesus and again i'm skipping ahead but god you got it but i thank god for jesus because as we talked about last week in the example of god becoming just like you and me showing me how to live this life properly so that the issues he overcame for you and for me I could overcome them, too, if I stopped relying on self and relying solely on him. It's possible 100 percent because we know that in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect, that it's as the song says, it's in these crazy times and the impossible is an excellent time for God to make things possible. And I love him so much for that. And then we see. As again, Jesus said about the seed being planted on the rocky path, I believe it was accepted joyfully. But as soon as trouble comes, they just want to disappear. And we see that reiterated in Hebrews six, that it's it's impossible to try to get those people to repent for that, because now they've rejected God and they themselves, not me not somebody else, not God, because he doesn't force us to do anything. That's their choice. But they themselves are nailing him to the cross, publicly shaming him, disgracing him, acting as if what God did for us, his holy blood that was spilled to make you holy is unholy 
is useless and they just trample upon it. It's no hope for them. But that also confirms something. Because they didn't have these deep roots, that means that they didn't have a genuine connection. They were here for it because it sounded good on paper. Just like when you get a get a job offer, the money looks good, the hours look great, but then calamity hits and now you need to work overtime, but you don't want to do it because that's not in your job description. Let me tell you, Jesus never said life would be easier <clears throat> with him, but that instead we would face more persecution because we belong to him. But the bright side of being with Jesus is that no matter what I go through, no matter how pressed it may feel like my back is up against the wall, he always has my back. I'm never alone and I never will be. And more importantly, if I'm in trouble, all I need to do is call upon the gracious name of my Lord, whose name is Jesus, and he will deliver me from it all. Whether it be physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, God has your back. But now we see <clears throat> that regardless of what you do in this life, that even though the, the enemy may know your name but calls you by your sins, this is further proof that just because God knows your sins doesn't mean he's going to call you out on them. He's going to call you by your name. And your name is beloved. Your name is conqueror. Your name is blessed. Your name is whatever God has written on that white stone that he's going to give you when all this is said and done. So stop worrying about things. Unless you're out here just criminally insane, giving thanks to the enemy instead of God for something that God has clearly done for you. Chill out. You're good. And we'll we'll see that more so. And this passage right here helped me understand something that I had been confused about for a long time because it just didn't make sense to me. But I'm almost certain my grandmother explained it, but it didn't catch on till today when God personally connected the dots as he does. So we go to Hebrews 10 verses 26 through 31 and 1 John 5 verses 13 through 21. So the Bible says, dear friends, if there's one of those magical words, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Or as the Amplified Version says, don't be expecting a sacrifice to, to come forward. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy, as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit, who brings God's mercy to us. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful and terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, incurring his judgment and wrath. 
And first John five says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come, and he has given us understanding, so that we know that we can know the true God, and we now live in fellowship with the true God, because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. This right here, specifically 1 John 5 verse, uh, what is it? Verse 16, it says, but if you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray. That used to confuse me because Romans 6 says that all sin it equates death. The wages of sin is death, point blank, period. But this says that if you see a brother or a sister sinning in a way that doesn't lead to death, pray for them. And I promise I, I struggled so long and I'm almost certain my grandmother explained this, but I wasn't there yet in Jesus to understand, but he made it click today and I almost cut a backflip. Let me explain. And I'm going to skip ahead for a minute. In the book of Romans chapter eight, it starts off by saying there is therefore now no condemnation to anyone who is in Christ Jesus that does not walk after the flesh or what this hunk of junk wants to do, but is chasing after God's will for our lives. When you do that, you're good. You mess up. Okay. Grace and mercy got you covered. You didn't want to. Again, I'm skipping ahead in Romans chapter six toward the end of it. Paul is messed up. I want to do right, but I can't. I keep doing wrong. Why? Because there is another power within me warring in my mind. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of affliction or this body of death? And any thanks, God, because the answer lies within Christ Jesus. So we looked at Matthew 13. We looked at Mark 3 and Hebrews 6. We understand what's going on. And even in here, we see that in the first part of this section in Hebrews 10, that it is because of God that we are free and allowed to keep pushing forward. So. What is the Bible talking about right here? Let me help you understand how God made me understand with Romans eight, because you are now in Christ Jesus and you're not concerned about pleasing what makes you feel good or what looks good or what tastes good or any of that other mumbo jumbo that Satan wants to sell you on. We're not concerned about that anymore. Also, in Hebrews six 
and 10 as well, I believe. Also, toward the bottom half of 1 John 5, we don't make a habit of sinning anymore. We sin because we messed up, y'all. That's it. But I'm not out here setting up appointments to do wrong. Yeah, you know, Shorty was looking good. I'm going to hit her up today. Uh, my boy got a pound. Let me go grab that. I'm going to light up. I'm going to go get drunk next weekend. We're not making plans to do wrong, y'all. No, that's not it. Instead, this is just fighting us. And sometimes we may lose a battle. But again, <clears throat> the battle's not yours. It's the Lord's. And he's going to win them. Because according to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, if you're tempted, he gives you the way out so that you can endure. All you got to do is ask. So I say all that to say that if you see a brother or a sister messing up, because we will, we are not perfect. We, Jesus hasn't given us the resurrected body yet that doesn't have a desire to do wrong anymore. We get that after the work's done. But because we're not there yet, when you see them making a mistake like we do, but they're not blaspheming the Holy Spirit, the sin that leads to death, period, point blank. Pray for him. Just pray for him. That's why we see in the book of Hebrews and James, specifically those, that if we got issues to tell one another, not because we want to put our dirt out there, but so that we can pray one for another. Because the more prayer that is sent up on our behalf, the more firepower God is going to send down to obliterate any tactic or temptation or stronghold that the enemy may be trying to use against you. But God forbid, whether they're saved or unsaved, somebody is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Just let them be. Because we do not know one another's hearts truly unless God tells us, meaning we don't know who is a child of perdition, meaning destined for hell, because somebody has to do wrong. But woe unto those who do it. Just pray for them all. But if you blatantly see them blaspheming the Holy Spirit, then like Jesus told the disciples, dust your feet, wipe the dirt off and keep moving because there is no help for them. God is not sending a, a second sacrifice because Jesus died once for all to cover it all. Except that because you just flat out tripping and there's no help for that. So may he have mercy on your soul. But the point is, is that we see that even though this looks like a contradictory statement here, because God is so good, his word proved the word. And that's how we work here. And I love him because this used to really hurt me. But now we see on a deeper level about this oneness that God has prescribed me to give to you. There's one ticket, y'all, the ticket of salvation or the ticket of death and damnation. You choose. You came here with damnation but you don't have to hold on to it. You can take it, put it on the table, pick up Jesus's offer, take it to the bank, cash in and go live. Not exist waiting to be burned, but go live. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, the life and the light of the world. And unless you have him, you have nada, none of the above. You can't even do anything apart from being with Jesus. I don't know what else to tell you there, but God is good and he doesn't want you to die in your sins. He wants you to put them on him, trade places, take his yoke, which is easy 
to bear and his burdens are super light. Ten times out of ten, he just wants you to do something he said, say something he says, or go wherever he's telling you to go. That's it. Obedience is his burden. And that ain't heavy. Sin, on the other hand, hurts physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And it leads to death. But I thank God that even after we get saved and though we mess up, our sins now aren't leading us to death because there is no condemnation to any of us who are inside of our Lord and Savior Jesus that are chasing him and not whatever this junk wants us to feel. And I thank him so much for that, because though the enemy would love to press you up in court with those false charges, Jesus simply reminds the Lord that, hey, I died for it all. And, you know, you know, the law can't get tried for the same crime twice does not work. So we move forward and we look in James chapter two, verses 10 through 13 and Galatians chapter three, verses 10 through 14. The Bible says for the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. And then Galatians says, but there we go again. Those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that, and I made this as big as possible so you could see it, no one, no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. It's impossible. For the scriptures say it is through faith, not philosophy, not psychology, not a self-help book, not James from down the street. But it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ, there we go, there's the but God, has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles, i.e. me, you, and everyone else who was not born Jewish, with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Now, I truly love breakdowns in the Bible. I love, 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 love when God points things out for us. We see here that if you try to keep the law, because there are plenty of people who actually get saved, but because they have these leaders that, 
cause I don't know even what to name it, but they try to teach the Old Testament as if that's what we live under. Then people get scared. They get confused. They get worried because now they think that, hey, I could lose my salvation if I don't do X, Y or Z. Y'all, it's like 600 plus laws to be held according to the, the Old Testament. That's a lot. That's too much. I can't keep up with five laws, let alone 600. How am I supposed to keep that? And you read it. If you break just one, then you're as guilty as someone who broke all of them. But that's not the point. If you're depending on the law to make you right with God, well, you might as well just go do something different. I don't know what to tell you. But it is through faith in Christ Jesus, because it is through Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that he kept all the commands that God had placed before us. The Ten Commandments, the 600 plus ones, all of them, he kept it to the T. So it is through faith in him and his love, which is the personification of the law completed. When we believe in him and his love and accept it and spread it, well, we've kept the law 100 percent of the line. Because I don't have to do it. God did it for me. And Jesus himself says and said it several times that, but fear not for I, not you, not them, not they, but me, I overcame this world just for you. And because I did it, don't worry about that. I got you. Worry about what I told you to worry about. When he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He simply replied, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second, but equally as important as the first, is to love your neighbor as you loved yourself. It's the law of one, y'all, and it's called love. And if you want true religion, I don't mean the genes, but actual religion, well then true religion, undefiled according to the Bible, and we've been here, is to care for the widow and the, and the orphan and the homeless out of love that's it love is religion love is god you got god you got love you got religion you got relationship you got all of the above don't make it more complicated i know we as people like to overcomplicate things but it's god made it dummy proof and if we don't want it it's because we just yeah i don't have proper words to give you but we we ain't it y'all the point though is is that God made us right. We didn't make ourselves right, but he made us right through the sacrifice of his darling son, our great example, our Lord, Jesus. He made us right through his sacrifice. And it is through faith that we are saved. It is through faith that we are able to please God. It is through faith that we are able to turn in the old ticket of death and get a new ticket of life, of liberty and to be a little show on the pursuit of happiness because God will let you be happy. He wants you to enjoy the amenities that he can provide to you in life. Being a Christian doesn't mean being a stick in the mud, being boring, being dull, not being able to do things. It means quite literally living life to the fullest because now you have life. And what I want to do with most of my time is tell people about how good God is. And I can do that when I'm playing video games, when I'm out doing stuff, when I'm spending time with people. 
you can incorporate his goodness in everything because as the Bible says, do all that you do as you would unto the Lord. And y'all, I love my father so much. And it shows when we include him in everything. But the point of this is, is to let you know that no matter how much wrong you've done or you may be doing because you, you haven't quite yet kicked that bad habit or been brave enough because it takes it takes courage y'all to let go and let God he's not persecuting you he's not going to take away his loving hand from you he's not going to revoke the favor he's not going to send you to hell because you're stamped with his son's name and his blood covers you for all eternity what he wants you to do is have faith in him Jesus said you trust in God so trust also in me Meaning, trust the example I've laid before you. Understand that I am the living God, that I love you to the fullest. I've sacrificed nations, countless people, and myself personally just for you. So don't fear. Take heart. I got you. And we wrap this up, combining all of this together in Romans 6, verses 20 through 23. Romans 7. 21 through 25 and Romans 8 1 through 4 so the Bible says when you were slaves to sin yes because we used to be if we got saved you were free from the obligation to do right and what was the result you are now ashamed of the things you used to do things that end in eternal doom or damnation but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. And we've talked about that. It does not mean slavery as in bondage. It means that we love what God has done for us so much that we can't help but serve him. That's what slavery to God means. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. There it is. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 7 says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there we go. There is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. That's why we go through a sanctification process, y'all. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God that the answer is in and is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. But then we take it on home in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And because you belong to him, talking about Jesus, y'all, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weaknesses of our sinful nature. It's our fault. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son and a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. 
He did this so the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. So as you see, I don't care what you've done in this life. I don't care what you do right now. I don't care about any of of the wrong, the missteps, the mistakes, none of it. Because God has said time and time again throughout this lesson, whatever you've done, mine is give my just deserved praise, honor, and glory to Satan. Unless you've crossed that line that you shouldn't even think of, I got you. Because everything God does is for your benefit. The accidents that are allowed to occur and happen, the calamities that are allowed to occur, the trials, the tribulation, the shortcomings, the lack of money, the loss of relationships, it all serves a grand purpose. And though it hurts and in the moment we may be upset with God because we don't understand, y'all, we just got to chill out because I know it happens. God, why, why is this happening? I, I, I was up for that promotion, but I didn't get it. What's up? You didn't want me to have it? Talked about this with my grandmother recently. A lot of things that we pray for, if we don't get, it's either because we have no business even worrying about that, or two, we just aren't ready yet. But because God loves you so much and he's the potter and you're the pottery, Everything that occurs in this life happens for the purpose to refine you so that when it is your time for whatever promotion God may have in store for you, whether it be at a job, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, in relationships with other people, when you're ready, you'll know you're ready because when God sends blessings, they don't stop pouring. But as we saw here in this wonderful collaboration from the book of Romans. We try real hard, but we mess up. All of us have fallen short of the glory of the Lord, meaning that wonderful standard he's made. We miss it. But because we're chasing him and not the flesh, we're chasing God and not Satan. Yes, I said it, because if you're not following him, you're following Satan. Remember that. When we chase God, he got you. Don't worry about it. Stop sweating the nitty gritty. God loves you. Always has, always will. And all you got to do to receive everything that is just for you. And I love that song by Kirk Franklin, by the way. Trust him. Just trust him. What do you got to lose? Trust him. Try him by his word. Taste and see how good the Lord is. Be genuinely surprised when God goes above and beyond everything that you could ask or think of. Rejoice. Give him his just praise and honor and glory that he so righteously deserves. Because all the glory belongs to the Lord. He is worthy to be praised. And y'all, he loves us so much that while we were yet still enemies, while we still had that other ticket being hole punched day and night, for all the dirt and wrong. He chose not to demand payment from you or from me, but to put money on our books and to go get us out of jail. Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer saying thank you. Lord, you're just magnificent. Plain and simple. You are amazing in every way. 
And though you are so good to us, even after we get saved, we still make some pretty wild mistakes and some crazy choices. But God, it really doesn't matter to you because you know our hearts. And though there is an ongoing war for our minds, we thank you that we can renew our minds each and every day through the studying and application of your word, i.e. choosing you, Jesus, because you are the word. You are the seed sower. You are the vine and we are the branches. And God, I thank you for the pruning process that happens, the sanctification process where you remove the old thorns of iniquity from our hearts because, yeah, it's still there. But I thank you that you're consistently working on us because, Lord, we need it and we need you. So, Father, I just want to say thank you. Thank you that even though we, we trip out sometimes, you got us. I thank you that we can come to you in prayer as if we're just having a conversation with one another, because that's all it is. We're just talking to you, Father, and I thank you that you have a wonderful ear and that we can have the faith and trust in you, that when we ask you for something or when we talk to you, not only do you hear us, but you're working on our behalf. So, Father, it's in the behalf of the church, the family of Christ, and on behalf of this world who doesn't know you just yet, I ask that you would be merciful, God, that those of us who don't know you would be given the opportunity to do so just like you promised. And that those of us who do know you, that we would just trust in your love, your plan, your purpose and your strength, God, and the weapons that you've equipped us with to break down these strongholds, to cast down the vile imaginations, to break free from the lies that the enemy is taking time to sow into us for so long. But I thank you that just like how Rome fell in a night, God, that you too can destroy the sins that have been shackling us for a year in a moment because time is irrelevant to you. And I thank you so much for that because no matter how much time we may have given to the enemy, you can give it all back and then some. So Lord, we just want to say we love you. Thank you for all that you've done, that you do, and that you're going to do because you're the God yet to come, yet to be shown off. And Father, we just wait patiently and a little bit anxiously because we love you so much for all that you're going to show us. And God, we thank you above all that if there's anything concerning us that we don't have to be anxious, but that all we need to do is talk to you, to just have a little talk with you, Lord. And that you yourself personally, the God of peace, would send his peace, your own peace that surpasses all understanding to comfort us. And when we focus on those things that are good, trust, righteousness and holy, i.e. everything pertaining to you, then you yourself personally would make your peace present in our lives. So, God, again, we love you. We thank you. And we'll be sure to give your name all the praise, all the honor and all the glory which you so rightly deserve. It's these things we thank you for. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey family, I pray the lesson has blessed you in some way, shape, form, or fashion today. Each week, we hold Bible study on Zoom, and it would be wonderful to share this experience with you. If something was said that resonated with you and you aren't a part of the family, I would like to open the invitation to join. I pray that the Lord blesses you in all of your endeavors 
and that you chase after the prize, which is Jesus. See you next week, God willing, and be blessed. Thank you.